hallelujah to you, God, our King. Hallelujah to you, Jesus. We praise you and worship you for what you have done to rescue us. We pray that you would give us even more insight into what is true of death and what is true about life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're continuing our sermon series here through the book of Revelation, and if you haven't heard me say it in the recent weeks, I'll say it again. Uh, It looks like we're going to plan to go through the entire book of Revelation, so it might take us all year. And I was thinking, you know, if Jesus comes back, I'd just as soon be preaching through Revelation, so uh, we'll we'll see what happens. I'm not making any predictions there, but uh, except to say that he is coming again. So we know that. And there's wonderful things to learn about God and about Jesus in the book of Revelation. So uh, let's focus on them. In chapters 2 through 3, which is where we're in the midst of right now, there are seven messages to seven churches. And although these letters were written 2,000 years ago to the churches back then, they still very much apply to us today. And the way I like to say it is, wherever you find yourself in these messages, listen and obey. Now, some of the circumstances that we're going to read about in these seven churches will be very different than the circumstances we face today, but you might be amazed at how you find yourself somewhere in the midst of these, these letters here. And what's said at the end of all of the, the, the letters to the seven churches is this, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, plural, meaning we're all supposed to listen to all of these messages. Now, the letter we're going to look at today is in chapter 2, to the church in Smyrna. Now, Smyrna is, like the other six churches in Revelation 2 through 3, in modern-day Turkey. Smyrna today is called the city of Izmir. You see how Izmir and Smyrna kind of sound alike? Izmir is the third largest city in Turkey, and it's, uh, again, a city that I've been to. I think the only two of the seven that I've been to are the first two here, Uh, but I've been to to modern-day Izmir. Um, But during the time Revelation was written, Smyrna was a very rich port city. And you'll see how it talks about how the church lived in poverty. So you wonder what was going on there. And we'll see what was going on there. There was persecution. The city was rich, but the church was, was poor, materially speaking. And you'll notice in our passage today that only positive things are said about the church in Smyrna. That can only be said of two of the churches, of the seven churches that are mentioned, Smyrna and Philadelphia. And we might think, oh, okay, great. Well, we want to be like Smyrna. We want to be like Philadelphia. Well, there's one other thing that Smyrna and Philadelphia share in common. Suffering. So I find it interesting. Five of the churches, the message is repent. And the other two that were doing well, they were both facing suffering. So uh, I'll let you decide if there's a connection between those two things. But in Smyrna, the the suffering was so severe that it was an issue of life and death. And that's why my sermon title today is Life and Death. Now, as is often the case in the Bible, the words life and death don't always mean exactly what our world thinks they mean. We need to have a, a spiritual understanding of these words. We need Jesus to inform us what these words mean. And that's exactly what happens. And don't forget, the messages to the seven churches in Revelation, they are from Jesus. All the words in chapters 2 through 3 are from Jesus. So if you thought that the only words from Jesus were in the Gospel, you're wrong. They're actually here in the book of Revelation as well. All of this from Jesus to us. And before we jump right into what Jesus said to the people in Smyrna, let's take a look at verse 8. Our our passage is chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. But verse 8 reminds us of who Jesus is. It says there in verse 8, 
to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, these are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. It's a very similar description to what we saw at the end of chapter 1. And if you remember what I said a few weeks ago in chapter 1, for Jesus to be called the first and the last is to be equated with God. At least five times in the book of Revelation, we see these, these phrases, the first and the last, or the beginning and the end, or the Alpha and the Omega. All of them point to the one who has always existed and always will exist. And it's the same language that we see in the Old Testament. Look at this verse, Isaiah 44, 6. I am the first and I am the last. Apart from me, there is no God. So the one who takes this title upon himself, the first and the last, is God. Apart from him, there is no God. Now, don't misunderstand. It's not that Jesus has replaced God the Father as the first and the last. No, it's that we believe in the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But one God. And apparently, the Father and the Son, at least, share this name, the first and the last. So one of the reasons that we're going to study the book of Revelation is for things like this. It reminds us about who Jesus is. It reminds us to focus on him. He is coming again. And like we said in communion, we want to remember him until he comes again. We want to proclaim him until he comes again. So that, that's one of the things that I hope happens this year as we study the book of Revelation is that our, our eyes and our hearts focus on Jesus Christ and worship him because he is the first and the last. He is worthy. But then also it says of Jesus in verse 8 that he died and came to life again. And that's really important, especially important to people like the people in the church of Smyrna because some of them were about to die. And who knows, death could be coming soon for us too. We don't know when that day will happen. But before we talk about our death, let's remember the death of Jesus Christ. He died but he came to life again. And we know that when he died, it was for no sin of his own. He died to pay our sin penalty. We are all sinners. And according to Romans, that meant that we had earned a death penalty, every single one of us. The charge against us was sinner, and the penalty is death. But Jesus came down, took our sin penalty upon himself, died for us, that we might be rescued. And he rose again from the dead, and in him is life. And amazingly, amazingly, the life that Jesus Christ has, he offers to us. So that anyone who repents of their sins, who confesses their sins to God, who receives Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, can have complete forgiveness of sins and eternal life. It is wonderful news, and I hope you know it. If you don't yet know it, I, I want you to talk to God in your heart right now and just confess your sin and ask Jesus to be your Savior and your Lord. Give your life to him. There's no other way for your death penalty to be, to be taken care of. So before we get into the topic of death, let's remember that the author of life wants to give us life. So hopefully that gives us a better perspective on death. So let's read our passage now. I want to read it, Revelation 2, 8 through 11, and then we're going to look at it in three parts. Starting again in verse 8. To the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, These are the words of him who was the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. 
He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. So my first point today is that trouble will come. I think you've noticed this in your lives already, I'm guessing. Uh, But before we talk about the trouble in Smyrna, I want to say a word about persecution. There are various degrees of persecution, and, and I would like to suggest that for the most part in America, we don't get very many of the high degrees of, of persecution. Uh, we're going to see a church in Smyrna that was facing very serious persecution. Now, that's not to say that we don't face persecution. We do face persecution. Um, maybe certainly not as much as our brothers and sisters around the world. Uh, They face it to a much higher degree than we do, uh, although we may face it to some degree. Although there's just a part of me that wants to remember that when we get looked at weird when we pray in a public restaurant, it's not as high persecution as it is our brothers and sisters who get put in prison or killed for their faith. So so let's remember that uh, and let's pray for our brothers and sisters. Persecution, if we're talking about the really high degree, Remember those 21 Egyptian Christians? It was about a year ago. It was February 2015. Remember those, those 21 Egyptian Christians that were captured by ISIS and dressed in orange and made to kneel down on the sand? Uh, and then there were, there were people dressed in all black, even covering their faces, standing behind them, and, and they killed those 21 Egyptian Christians. That's persecution. Persecution of that sort is what the people in the church of Smyrna were told that they might be about to face. There are two words that show up in our passage for persecution. The first one shows up in verse 9 and in verse 10. It's the same word in Greek, but it shows up uh, in some translations as afflictions or persecution or tribulation. The word that I like to use to translate it is just the simple word trouble. And it's the same word, trouble, that Jesus told us to expect. In John 16:33, Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. There you have it from Jesus telling us, you will have trouble. But take heart, Jesus said, I have overcome the world. We will have trouble. Things on earth will not always go the way that we would like them to, the way that we think they should. Jesus promised. But, he said, I have overcome the world. And isn't that interesting? It's that same exact word from John 16 that shows up in each of the letters to the seven churches that says that we are to overcome. How do we overcome? There's only one way. Only if we are in the one who has overcome. He has already overcome sin and death and the power of Satan. We await the final victory of that to come, but he's already won it. And if we are to overcome, the only way that we do that is in him. So yes, there will be trouble. In Smyrna, that trouble came from people who called themselves Jews, but Jesus called them a synagogue of Satan. So apparently they were people who claimed to be Jews, but for some reason, well, we know the reason, they persecuted people who believed in Jesus Christ. And the persecution was getting so intense that here, as we see in in verse 9, it started with slander, but in verse 10, eventually, it was until the point of death. Why would they do that? Why would people people who call themselves Jews, people who say they follow God, why would they kill people who believe in Jesus? Well, Jesus, again, told us to expect this. In John 16, too, he said, they will put you out of the synagogue, 
In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering a service to God. But remember the true power behind them. It wasn't just a group of humans causing this problem. The power behind them was Satan. In fact, in Revelation 2.10, where it says that the people of the church of Smyrna were going to be put in prison to be tested, it was to be tested by the devil. That the devil was going to put them in prison. Now, I'm guessing that it wasn't somebody dressed in red with horns and a pitchfork that came to their door and put them in prison. I'm guessing it was humans who put them in prison. But the Bible tells us the power behind it was Satan, the devil. What if you face that kind of persecution? Think about that. Uh, you ever been ashamed to pray in public? Uh, that's like a really low degree of persecution. What if this kind of persecution came where you were threatened to be put in prison for your faith? How would you handle it? What if it was about to cost you your possessions or your house or your job or your life? If it came to that, we would have to ask ourselves the question, how much is Jesus worth to me? And I hope you know the answer to that question. It's worth everything. Let's go back to those 21 Egyptian Christians. Their last words, recorded on a video by ISIS. I find this fascinating. ISIS was recording it to try to show their power over these Christians. But at, right before they killed them, the very last words from these Egyptian Christians were to confess the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, one of the brothers of one of those, uh, I think it was two of those people who died, uh, one of the brothers of them thanked ISIS for including that in the video. I hope we have that strength of conviction if faced with the, the question of trying to preserve our earthly life or remaining faithful to Jesus Christ. I hope that we would confess the Lord Jesus Christ. There's another story of a Christian faced with the same choice. A Christian from the church in Smyrna. Now this story is a, a story from church history, so it, it's not from the Bible, so we don't know that it's 100% accurate, but it's actually a story from, from within one or two decades after this letter was written to the church in Smyrna. There was a guy who lived in Smyrna named Polycarp. I'll put his picture up here, uh, and I'll explain to you in a moment why he has flames around him. Um, he, he was as history tells us, uh, a, a disciple or a student of the Apostle John, who wrote the book of Revelation, and he, Polycarp, became bishop or pastor in the church of Smyrna. And during the time that Polycarp lived, there was still great persecution from the Romans for people who would be Christians. And Polycarp was eventually rounded up by the Roman authorities and was given a chance to save his life. All he had to do was confess that Caesar is Lord and offer incense to Caesar as if to worship him. Polycarp refused. Polycarp was then asked to curse Jesus Christ, to save his life. Uh, I have a book at home it's called Documents of the Christian Church, and in that book, here's Polycarp's answer. Eighty and six years have I served him, and he hath done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king who saved me? For that response, he was threatened with being burned alive. What did Polycarp say? He said to his accusers, I don't fear those flames. You should fear the flames of eternal judgment. For that response, 
They lit a fire around him. And uh, the story goes, and we don't know if this is true, but this is how the story goes, that Polycarp was in the midst of those flames and they didn't touch him. Um, we'll talk about the second death later. In verse 11 it said, we will not be hurt at all by the second death. I wonder if God showed those people, hey, there's some, there is a fire coming that you must fear. It's not this one. It's one that's coming later. Now, lest you think the story is all roses, when they saw that the flames wouldn't touch him, they sent somebody in with a dagger and killed him. Whether in Polycarp's day or in our day, persecution is a very real possibility for our brothers and sisters around the world. And it could come to us too. We don't know. A couple of applications from that. One, let's pray for our brothers and sisters who are facing it on a daily basis. Some of our brothers and sisters who confess Jesus Christ are facing things like this. Let's pray for them. And then second, let's resolve right now to remain faithful to Jesus Christ. If that day comes, I want to confess Jesus Christ is Lord. So if we are to remain faithful like that, how can we do it? Well, our passage gives us two commands that tell us exactly how, and they're my next two points. Point number two here, do not be afraid. In verse 10, Jesus said, do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. And here we see the other word for suffering. I mentioned that there's two. The first one means trouble. This second word for suffer is the same exact word that Jesus used as he was looking ahead to his suffering on the cross. Now, it would be completely natural and understandable if we were to be afraid if facing that kind of suffering. Yet, Jesus commands us not to fear. And it's very countercultural and it's very counterintuitive to us. Just because it's natural for us to fear doesn't mean that we should. Jesus here commands us, do not be afraid. So even if someone comes for our possessions or our life, we need not fear. Now, how can God expect that of us? Does he really expect us not to be afraid if somebody's threatening to put us in prison or in a fire? Well, I think we can have confidence in him. And it reminds me of the sermon series that we did here at the end of 2015, the, the sermon series entitled God With Us. Remember in that, we looked at Psalm 23. Here's what King David said. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Remember somebody else in the Bible who was thrown into the flames? In the book of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And when somebody looked in, what did they see? Did they see three men? Well, they saw a fourth, one that looked like son of man. The blessing of God with us is such a strong blessing that it's a blessing even in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death. And if we cling to God, we can cling to him in whatever comes our way and know that he wants to be with us and strengthen us and protect us. God wants to be with us and he wants to give us peace. Jesus died on the cross so that we could have peace. When he rose again from the dead, the first two things that he said in the Gospel of John, I'll give you the first one and I'll quiz you on the second one. First thing he said to his disciples when he rose from the dead is peace be with you. What did he say second? Peace be with you. It's like saying it once wasn't enough. He wanted his followers to know that he had earned peace. 
because of what he did for us. We know that God's heart is to be with us. And whatever we go through, God wants to strengthen us and be with us. Jesus reminds us in Matthew 10, 28, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. We need not fear persecution or death. It's interesting. The command here is do not be afraid. Yet there is one other command in the Bible that tells us that we should fear. Who? Fear God. That command remains throughout the New Testament that we are to fear God. We are to honor Him, to worship Him. We are to fear Him so much that we should never want to be opposed to Him. But if we are with Him, we don't have to fear anything or anyone else, not even death. Whatever trouble comes our way, we don't need to fear because God is with His children. So do not be afraid. That's the first command. Uh, as difficulties come our way, we can look at this command from Jesus and recognize that we do not need to be afraid. And then there's a second command. And, and maybe, uh, for those of you who write in your Bible, you may want to underline these, these two commands. The first one I just mentioned in verse 10 is, do not be afraid. And the second one, be faithful. In verse 10 it says, be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. Jesus was faithful in his suffering. He went the full distance. And can we just stop and say, praise the Lord that he did? If he stopped and didn't go to the cross for us, it would mean eternal death for us. But he loved us so much and was so faithful to his Father that he went the full distance, even in suffering. And since then, many other followers of Christ have followed that pattern of being faithful in suffering. And we too can be faithful whatever comes our way. We can overcome, whether in life or in death. But we don't overcome in our own power. We overcome in the power of the Holy Spirit. We overcome by trusting in God, by believing that Jesus Christ has already overcome. It's interesting, the people of the church in Smyrna already have this reputation of being faithful. In verse 9, it talked about their poverty. Again, they lived in a rich city, yet they lived in poverty. Why do you think that was? Probably the persecution they were facing. Yet, what was, what was the testimony about them? I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. There are true riches that have nothing to do with earthly wealth. You ever met somebody who was poor materially, but just shined with a life of faith? That's what God has for us. He can strengthen us for what we have. And oftentimes, these riches are acquired through testing and through persecution. God often uses difficult circumstances in our lives to, to show us the true value of faith. Are there any amens in that? Anybody ever gone through that? In Hebrews 10, we're told of people who joyfully accepted the confiscation of their property because they knew that they had better and lasting possessions. When difficult times come, we should see it as an opportunity to grow in our faith. I think too often we retreat and we just get into self-preservation mode. But God has something more than that for us. In Hebrews 12, he talked about when we, in, when we have hardships, that we should endure it like discipline. That God is disciplining us, and it says in there he's doing it for our good. We often think that discipline is unpleasant, and, and it can be very unpleasant. But please know that God is doing it for our good. And in that same passage, it talks about how we might have a harvest of righteousness and peace if we are trained by it. So when difficult times come, I hope we can see it that way and meet it with faith and see that God is actually bringing us through a process 
that will lead to his glory and will lead to strength and faith in us. There is another option, though, in that Hebrews 12 passage. We could shrink back or fall away. But that's not the path that Jesus chose, and that's not the path we should choose. Jesus said to Simon Peter in Luke 21, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But Jesus prayed for Peter, praying that his faith would not fail. And I pray that for us, that our faith would not fail as we go through testings. It says in here, in Revelation 2, that the devil will put some of you in prison to test you. He does that to us. And I pray that if we are tested, that our faith may not fail, but that we would continue to be faithful. We will face temptations and tests and trouble, but if we're faithful, there's a crown of life. The crown in those days was the reward. It was kind of like their gold medal. They had games, and the winners wouldn't get a gold medal, but they would get a crown. We, if we are faithful, will receive a crown that will never fade away. Now, in those contests, those athletic contests, it took dedication and endurance. You see, athletes need a strong emotional resolve to continue in what they're doing. I know this because I'm an athlete, and I've seen it in other people. So you notice I'm not saying I've seen it in myself. I've seen it in other athletes who are successful. And uh, I've seen that they have resolve to keep going, to keep training, to keep working. Do we have that kind of resolve in our faith? James 1.12 says, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. We can be rich in faith, even in difficult times, because God wants to be with us and strengthen us for whatever comes our way. And if he is with us, yes, we may very well be harmed by the first death. Remember, we've been talking about two kinds of death today. Our passage mentions two kinds of death. Jesus even tells the people, be faithful even to the point of death, as if to say, some of you within ten days are going to die. That's what it looks like here. And you know what? The first death hurts. Right? We've, we've seen it. We've, we've seen other people go through it. We even hurt when we see other people go through it. Your death may not be one of those where you drift off in the middle of sleep into the next life. It may be a painful one. The first death hurts. Even Jesus was hurt by the first death. The nails, I'm sure, were very painful. But the second death will not hurt us at all if we are faithful. And you see, the second death is the one that's worse by far. In Revelation 20:14, the second death is described as a lake of fire and it lasts forever. It's the place of which Jesus said in Matthew 25:41 is prepared for the devil and his angels. You do not want to go there. Please don't go there. The second death, though, will not touch us if we are faithful to Christ. So as I said earlier, make up your mind now to be faithful to Christ. And maybe there are some of you in here who are thinking about that second death and wondering if that's what you have to look forward to. Please know that in Christ we are saved from it. And if you give your life to Christ even right now, he will rescue you and give you eternal life. 
Now, most of us, as I've been mentioning along the way, we, we probably aren't facing the kind of persecution that they faced in Smyrna. And we might not face it. But we will face tests of our faith. And I hope that we will be faithful. Be faithful. That's the command as we face those tests. And remember, we don't do it in our own strength. We do it by faith in Jesus, in the power of the Holy Spirit, trusting in God all along the way. So how do you do in difficult times when your faith is tested, when trouble or persecution comes your way? Do you look to God? Is your faith strengthened? Or do you look for the easier way out? Anybody in here tempted to take the easy way in life? Now think of it this way. Um, there, there are many paths set before us in life. So many different options of the way that we could go. But you know how the Bible describes it? There's two paths. There's the one where we follow Jesus or the other one where we go our own way. And sometimes that other way looks very good and tempting and fun and easy and prosperous and successful and whatever else it might be. But it's not the right path. The right path for us is the one of faith. Whatever comes our way, we meet it with Jesus Christ. It's natural to want to preserve our lives. But remember, remember what Jesus said about that in Mark 8, 35. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Isn't that interesting? We take that other path, the one away from Jesus. We're trying to save our life. We're trying to build a life for ourselves. And what does Jesus say? We will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. If we're on the path with Jesus, he gives us the life that is truly life. And it's way better than the life that we could pick for ourselves. And I hope that every single one of us in here is all in with Jesus. And again, we will be tempted to take that other path. We may stray sometimes. But let's commit now. Let's resolve to be faithful to Jesus Christ. And then let's walk by faith daily with him in the power of the Holy Spirit. Those 21 Egyptian Christians, I bet there are a lot of people around the world who would say of them, those idiots, why didn't they just renounce Jesus? They could have saved their lives. But remember, the only way that we can truly have life is if we are in Jesus Christ. And their last word, to confess the Lord Jesus Christ, may it be a reminder for us of the kind of faith that we should have, whatever comes our way. And we know what's coming our way, trouble. But it's limited trouble. One of the beautiful things about this passage is that trouble is limited to this life and the second death will not hurt us at all if we are in Christ. There is in store for us eternal life with no more death or mourning or crying or pain and the curse is taken away. For now there is trouble, but Romans 8.18 reminds us that it's not worth comparing to the, to the glory to come. Let's look at that verse. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Trouble will come. We need not be afraid. Let us remain faithful. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you again that we are rescued from death through Jesus Christ who has tasted death for us. That the second death might not hurt us at all because of what you have done for us. We thank you for that. We pray that we would not be afraid. We know that trouble will come. You've promised that. We pray that we would not be afraid, that we would remain faithful. 
that we would be firm in our faith, trusting in you. And may we remember that it is not we who overcome by ourselves and our own power. It is you who have already overcome. And in Christ, we can overcome too. Please help us to remain faithful. And God, if there are any who have not yet received Jesus in here, we ask that you would tap on their heart right now and they would open their heart and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and confess their sins to you to receive forgiveness and salvation. So God, we thank you and we praise you and we look forward to what's to come. Eternal life with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.